Is a so-called pre-hominid fossil really four million years old? Welcome to Answers News for Wednesday, July 13th, 2022. Hi, I'm Dr. Georgia Purdom here with Dr. Kaya Kloster and Bodie Hodge, and we're here to discuss the dating of Australopithecus Africans, and I can say that's amazing, a fossil <laughs> and what biblical history has to say about it. So that is our first story for the day, fossils, cavewoman, one million years older than thought. And, and when I first read this, I was like, okay, this is our weekly installment of what we, what evolutionists used to think about evolution, but it's changed yet again. Now they no longer believe it. Yeah, right. it's right. This is a fossil from this is Mrs. Please or Plez or something like that. <laughs> P L E S. That's her name. Okay, just like we have Lucy as a fossil. This is a different species, um, and so supposedly they used to think um, she was whatever two point something million years old. Now she's three point four to three point seven million years old because they've used a different radiometric dating method, and now they've determined she's a lot older. Hmm. The method they used is called cosmogenic nuclide dating, and it's like so many of the radiometric datings, there's a lot of assumptions that have to come in. Right. And uh, this, this one refers to cosmic rays that come in and they alter certain elements of the rock to these radioactive forms. Um, but there's so many things, like if it's shielded by something so it's not getting hit as much, it's going to give a false age. If it's um, you know, rubbed off by a glacier, it's going to have a different age. If it's got um, the el- altitude where it's found, or the elevation where it's found, there has to be a lot of corrections. And how do we know if we're getting so there's all There's a lot of guesswork right? in it. A lot of guesswork, yeah. as with any, really, of the dating methods that you might have heard about. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Australopithecus Af- Africanus, you're probably like, well, what is that? It's not human. It's actually an ape. Um, it's very similar, but yet different from uh, a very famous one, which we call Lucy, Lucy. Uh, which is Australopithecus uh, afarensis. Mm-hmm. And these are just variant forms, really, of chimpanzees, of, of particular right. ape kind. Um, one of the things that I thought was interesting right off the bat, you know, even the title here, Fossils, uh, Cave Woman, One Million Years Older Than Thought. They Know What a Woman Is, One an Ape. That's quite interesting in our culture. Um, if, you, if you know what's going on uh, around the world right now. But, you know, it's interesting. In the secular worldview, people believe a Darwinian understanding of history. Uh, In 1871, Darwin released his book, The Descent of Man, where he argued that man evolved out of Africa because that's where the apes are. And so that's where people are trying to find these alleged missing links and want to date them uh, as far back as they can get to give as much time for evolution to happen. Uh, We don't see this type of stuff from ancient historians. This is part of a rewritten brand new history that came from Darwin. And that's uh, where they're trying to fit this into. Yeah. And they always want to make these fossils older in some ways, too, because evolution, I mean, just depends on random chance. So when you're depending on random chance, right, the more time you have, the more chances you have. And so then it increases the likelihood of getting the outcome that you want. And so that's why, and we're going to see this in some other articles, too, but they keep wanting to push it back to give more time because they're just realizing the time they have just doesn't work. Um, and, and I will admit, I was surprised in this article, but they do actually refer to Lucy as an ape, which for years, you know, she's been kind of said to be an ape woman or something in between, but right. now I guess Mrs. Plus takes her place. And, and yeah. they even say they could have lived at the same time. They could have been inbred with one another. So instead of this straight evolutionary tree, right, from some sort of simple single-celled organism up to mankind, even if you start with this ape-like creature that was supposedly ancestral to human, it's not a tree. It's a bush. 
Mm-hmm. Right? It, they don't know all the connections. They don't mm-hmm. understand. It's not this real delineated linear. or linear, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Linear sequence that they think. We that's how they portray it, but it's just really not true based mm-hmm. on the evidence. Yeah. So there's a couple of things that are just dead wrong in here. First off, the date. Uh, this is a creature that was buried after the flood. Its ancestor uh, was on board Noah's Ark. As these animals are going to different parts of the world, some of them die, get buried, and right. turned into fossils in, in uh, certain ways. Um, so the date is dead wrong. And secondarily, this is not an ancestor man. This is an uh, ape within the ape kind. There are boundaries within those bushes or those mm-hmm. kinds. Um, it is not an ancestor to man. Uh, people were around prior to that time. Yep. Noah, for example, was on board the ark and his family the same time the ancestor for this creature uh, yep. was living. So, yeah. So... Really nothing, nothing new, just new for them. Okay. Christian doctor to take trans pronoun case to court of appeal following muddled tribunal judgment. So this is actually a religious liberty um, case in the UK. And um, what we see here is a, a doctor that, heaven forbid, wanted to believe what the Bible says um, about gender and that one, uh, one gender cannot become another gender, okay? And he wanted to live out that belief, right? And, and not tell his patients anything contrary to that. Well, what the tribunal basically found and why they call it muddled is that he can believe that personally. He's absolutely, that's, you know, part of his right to believe that, but he can't actually live that out, because that affects other people then, and that's problematic. And he'd be at risk of losing his job, and in fact, this man did. So in other words, you can believe it, you just can't have a free exercise of that sort of thing. Over in the UK, they're not protected with the Constitution that says you have the free exercise of religion. So, um, you know, this is one of those situations where here he is uh, stuck going, hey, I can be fired if I even mention my religious belief. Now, at the same time, it's okay if people hold to a sexual humanistic religious perspective and talk about that left, right, and center, but not the Christians. Right. Notice the double standard that's happening in there. So and it's I, uh, quite odd. Another kind of scary step that it's taking is that it's moving from not just saying you have to tolerate it, but that you have to, it's compelled speech. They're being required to use pronouns that don't fit the gender. Um, so you're being forced to, to not just allow it, but to participate in it. And so that's kind of a scary step. And that's what we've always said. It's not just about tolerating it. They don't want people to just tolerate it. They want us to accept it and celebrate it. I mean, right. and promote it. I mean, and that's really what you're doing it. by using the, their quote unquote preferred pronouns. You know, it's interesting because this was challenging a previous law's interpretation right. at one stage. And uh, the previous law said, uh, you know, when when Christians would do this sort of thing, it it would be incompatible with human dignity, unworthy of respect. And uh, they're also trying to use logic as well. Now, hold Mm -hmm. it. When it comes to dignity, respect, and logic, those are actually Christian principles that are predicated on the Bible being true. In a secular worldview where everything is just material, matter, and energy, and motion, there is no such thing as dignity, respect, or logic. They're they're not made out of atoms, for example. They're not made out of mass. So really what they're doing is they're borrowing from the Bible, but then they're arguing that you can't use the Bible. So they actually are right. self-refuting. Because evolution right is a completely end. materialistic worldview. There's nothing immaterial. So those things are all immaterial. So how can you, how can you say mm-hmm. those things unless, like Bodhi said, you borrow from the Bible yeah. to support your points? And, mm-hmm. and two, one of the things I think they said in here is that, well, mm-hmm. what he believes is offensive to people. And I'm thinking, well, what you all believe is offensive to me. That, so offending mm-hmm. me is fine. But it's not fine if I offend someone. You know, mm-hmm. it's this total double standard that we yeah. see all the time. It's okay to time. offend Christians, but Christians can't offend anyone else exactly. or they can get fired. Yep. So 
yeah, I understand, you know, the, this is a big battle over in the UK. And I know yeah. it may not seem like it affects, you know, people in the United States or other parts of the world that are watching us. But, uh, you know, I mean, a lot of times the United States tends to follow yeah. the UK. That's uh, what I'm one saying. Way We're just another, always so. one step behind. What did you say? Yeah. We're one step one step behind. We're always one step mm-hmm. behind them. So it's coming here. And that's why it's really important that we continue to fight for religious liberty. Because if you mm-hmm. don't fight for it, then it is going to disappear. And here's something else. You know, I, I want to encourage Christians to be crying out to God. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, God is the one who makes things happen. Definitely. And, uh, you know, when we cry out to God and cry out in repentance, uh, you'd be surprised what the Lord can do uh, mm-hmm. in a culture. Right. I mean, we see this over and over in the Old Testament. There were so many times where the Israelites had disobeyed God. They were going down the wrong path. And all it took was people to get, say, okay, Lord, you know what? We repent in dust and ashes, you know, uh, yep. Yep. we're sorry. Right. Uh, please bring us back. And, you know, the Lord did some amazing things in the Old Testament then. For sure. All right. Judge rules the University of Idaho can't prevent students from sharing Christian teaching on homosexuality. So this is a religious liberty win in the United States. So basically, um, some students that were with the uh, Christian law students at the University of Idaho were engaged in a private conversation with someone. Okay. Keep that in mind. And then she basically complained about it and wanted these three people who said, hey, we're open for discussion on this. You know, we want to talk to you about what we believe and why we believe. We want to hear what you have to say. You know, again, totally private conversations, but once them publicly denounced and not be allowed to share um, what they believe. But again, the, the judge said no. The federal judge said, no, you can't do that. You can't tell these students that they're not allowed to share their belief because that would be against, again, our freedom of religion. Yeah, they had a no contact order put on them. Right. Basically, you can't you, you can't say anything about your religion on campus. I mean, who? well, and they weren't <laughs> they weren't informed that they had offended her. They weren't informed that yeah. this no contact order had there was no chance mm-hmm. to defend their position or anything. It was just placed on them. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's not fair. That's not even just right. like you to even do something. I mean, like that. imagine if Christians would turn this around and say, you know, every time we hear somebody, you know, promoting. Uh, you know, the sin of homosexuality, the sin of transgenderism and so forth, that they said, hey, that offends me. I want them silenced. Mm-hmm. I mean, imagine all, all the situations of that. Oh, a teacher said this. I want them silenced. You know, so it just goes to show. And of course, uh, you know, the judge rightfully, you know, came out here and said, no, you can't do that. You know, there's right. free exercise of religion. And uh, this actually borderlines on free speech as well. It's uh, mm-hmm. once again, compelled speech. Right. Uh, but this was right. situation in the state. So, yeah. And their legal counsel makes the comment that these individuals are guaranteed freedom under the First Amendment to discuss their faith on campus, just like every other student and faculty member. Because, it, you know, we all have our own faith and our belief systems may be in different things, but it's, it's a religious belief system for them as well. Right. And we should be allowed to live that out. I mean, it's not just like in the previous article. It's not just about having a private belief. Of course, I can believe what I want to believe. I mean, we should still have the freedom to do that. But I should be able to to make that known, right, Mm -hmm. to speak that and to have the freedom to do that. And um, so, like I say, it's good to see over and over again, even the Supreme Court, you know, relaying these religious freedoms that they have to be allowed. You cannot prejudice against Christians because of their Christian beliefs. Yeah, a senior counselor here uh, added, uh, this is toward the end of the article, quote, uh, the University of Idaho must stop discriminating against students' religious beliefs and allow students of all ideological perspectives to freely debate important issues of our day. Yep, yep. that's what oh. we want. Absolutely. So, I mean, especially for law students. 
<laughs> I'm thinking, you know, that's kind of important that they be able to do that. So right. that's good to see. Okay, feathers may have helped dinosaurs survive the Triassic mass extinction. Okay, so this goes to the idea that, and, and we see this more and more and more, where dinosaurs are presented as having feathers. Um, you'll see it even in um, the most recent Jurassic World um, movie. Uh, they'll have it there. Um, they've continued to increase that with those movies. And you see it all the time now in, um, when they're trying to reconstruct what this you know, dinosaur may have looked like. You see all these feathers on it. And so now they think there might be a reason that they're quote unquote finding these feathers is because it was really cold and um, they needed them to be able to survive. So that's the solution <laughs> as to why they have them. <laughs> oh yeah, when I read this, I was like, oh my, there's so many little stories oh. in here. It, it, it frustrates me because sometimes there can be some good research in an article, but at the same time, other times you get a lot of the storytelling, a lot of the evolutionary of uh, that. mythology that's in there. And so here's what's interesting. Uh, feathers may have helped dinosaurs survive the Triassic mass extinction. In the secular worldview, they have all these different mass extinctions. Now, just so people know, Triassic, Jurassic, Cretaceous, this is all right in the middle of the flood. So these are probably different phases in the flood when different things are being buried, but it's over the course of that same year. And uh, they're saying here at the end of the Triassic that you're, you're getting these cold areas, and so you had to have the dino fuzz for them to help uh, survive in all this. Well, hold on a second. When we look at dinosaurs in the Jurassic and Cretaceous, they were scaly creatures. We right. see this over and over again. So, you know, you, there's an inconsistency uh, right there, right up in the front. Um, you know, when I also look at stuff like this, there's a big convolution nowadays. Uh, birds are now considered dinosaurs. So every time they find a bird, they say, look, we found a feathered dinosaur. Well, no, it's a bird. And so then they use that kind of, kind of an idea to say, oh, well, these different uh, reptilian dinosaurs, they could add dino fuzz and stuff on it. But they're really looking at birds to try to justify that. So you have to watch out for some of the subtleties uh, when they uh, start talking about some of this as well. The reason that they felt that there may have been this cold, frigid winters was because they found these rocks that had been moved from one place to another. And so their idea, and in fact they say, um, the team identified rock fragments that could only have been deposited by ancient ice alongside the footprints of dinosaurs. But that is not the only way. I mean, clearly a flood moves lots of rock fragments, and we know that rocks got moved a very long way um, from flooding. And so I think just, the, and again later they say it's the most likely explanation, so they back off a little bit. But the fact is, is that it's not only that rocks would move under a glacier as it moves along and then be deposited elsewhere, Moving rapidly moving water would absolutely right. do that. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting, too, because one of the things they think with these extinctions usually is that it's a lot of volcanic eruptions, so you get this greenhouse yeah. situation going mm -hmm. on, and that it's really hot and steamy on the earth. Okay. But, so that's what they always think. But then they're like, well, but maybe it wasn't that way everywhere on the earth. Maybe further north, it really was frigid and cold, which is why they needed the, the feathers. Okay, so again, it's just changing the story to try to fit supposedly what yeah. they find and try to explain this. And, and the reality is there is no evidence for feathers on dinosaurs. That's the reality. That's a, that's a big deal, too. I mean, we're not finding feathers on these dinosaurs, and their only evidence in here for that is rock fragments yeah. are sitting over here. 
So it would have been helpful to have feathers, yeah. There's a massive leap in logic Mm -hmm. uh, over a multitude of steps here. Right. So there's just a lot of storytelling. I don't know how many times I wrote a story on this. I'm like, oh my, come on. Well, and if we're worried about like the greenhouse effect now Mm -hmm. with with all the CO2 Mm -hmm. emissions and all that, and we're worried about global warming, um, and yet in the same, when they're wanting evidence to help support this evolution of birds into dinosaurs, or dinosaurs into birds, all of a sudden then there can be cold yeah. places during a greenhouse effect. So it's, again, it's hard to follow the logic sometimes. Yeah. And um, Dr. Gabriella Haynes is a paleontologist that works for Answers in Genesis, and she's done extensive research on this particular topic of feathered dinosaurs. And we have a great article that she just put out um, a couple of weeks ago called Dinosaurs in Birds' Clothing? So if you go to our website, um, you can find that article there. And it's a really great layperson article talking about some of her research. Um, mm-hmm. She's, she she's going to have a bigger article, massive article, in our research journal on that. But this is um, a way to kind of access some of that information and to see the problems with the the feathered dinosaurs. So just actually check that out. Okay, the heat is on. Traces of fire uncovered dating back at least 800,000 years. And so what this is, is basically a way to, a non-visual way of seeing that a particular rock or piece of flint or something has been heated. And if it's been heated, that suggests that somebody started a fire, obviously, and did that, which suggests that you have someone that's not just sort of some sort of ape-like creature that isn't very intelligent, but Mm -hmm. is, quote-unquote, in their terms, evolving into something that is more human-like and being able to use fire. So Mm -hmm. now it goes back even further than they thought originally. Yeah, you know, with a lot of archaeological sites and places, you know, if they see remnants of fire, you know, ash or soot or, you know, just different things that could be preserved, um, it's, it's obvious they controlled the fire. Um, but, you know, some sites, it's, it's actually tough to tell. Mm-hmm. And so this was actually, in one sense, uh, there, there's a lot of brilliance behind this because they looked at different stones and different bones that were found at the site to see if they'd been heated up to the temperatures uh, that uh, fire would do. Because, believe it or not, a lot of uh, materials and rocks and things like that, they actually changed their structure a little bit. They, they've been heat treated, essentially. And so that's what they did. They found some of these, and they found, oh, these were heat treated. And based on what we were uh, analyzing now, it's based on the temperatures of fire. So it was definitely some sort of controlled fire. So I think the research is, is actually kind of neat. Mm-hmm. The problem is they assigned dates like 800,000 years that just grab out of nowhere. Yeah. And uh, th- that's the problem, you know, when they try to use some of these radiometric dating methods or other dating methods, they're just chock full of assumptions. And right. so that's where the problems are. And I think one of the, the earliest dates so far for fire um, had been like two and 400,000 years. And there was like five, five fire pits that they'd found. Mm-hmm. And this was maybe then going to be the sixth where they didn't see the evidence, but they found it through this artificial intelligence. But um, they, they made the comment that we did this fishing expedition and we cast back much further than people would have ever expected to find uh, ape-like creatures smart enough to make fires. And so they cast way back to like 800,000 and they found this. And, you know, but if we think from a biblical perspective, honestly, you should be able to cast as far back, mm-hmm. you know, as, and, and of course it's a different time scale. Um, it's not 800,000 years, it's 6,000, but um, that man would have been... Uh, 
present and intelligent enough to build fires from the very beginning of time. Yeah. And this goes all to this whole, and the reason that they care about fire too so much, not only does it indicate intelligence because it's people who create fire, right? Apes don't start fires. Um, But also because of this, what they call the cooking hypothesis. So the cooking hypothesis is that the reason that people were able to evolve from some sort of ape-like creature into humans is because they started cooking their food. And then it was easier to chew and it was easier to break down and they got more nutrition from it. And so they were able to grow their brains bigger. I mean, it's just this whole chain of assumptions, right? So so what they had said was the only problem with the cooking hypothesis before this is a lack of data. Okay. And have any so evidence. <laughs> as, as a scientist, here's the thing. You only make a hypothesis if you have some data that, that leads you to make that hypothesis, right? Now, you may do further experiments, and that may show the hypothesis is wrong, but you usually have data to start with, okay, that, that would indicate that. So, again, it's just it's, it's another... <laughs> story that they're coming up with to try to explain this. And then they happen to find some fire back 800,000 years. So, oh, look, there's some data for the hypothesis that we came up with. So you see this kind of thing all the time. And and we wouldn't, again, like, like Kaya said, we wouldn't be surprised because people have been smart all along and making fire all along. You seem fired up about this. Oh, I knew there was Fired a pun up. coming somewhere. Okay, that was way too easy. So. One, one neat comment they made was that by looking at archaeology from a different perspective using new tools, we, might, we may find much more than we initially thought. And I think it's so true in science. I think we've lost some of the lack of bias. You know, there's such this evolutionary indoctrination that everything is put through that channel. And I think we're missing so much of what we could discover if we really exactly. did come with fresh eyes. Yep. Yeah, that's yep, a, that's a good sure. point. Did you just cook that up? I, oh, gosh. <laughs> Oh, okay, moving on before we get any more puns. All right, now we've got Methodist churches out here singing hymns to Mother Earth before preaching nuanced takes on abortion. All right, so let me, let me summarize what this is about. So basically, this, is, this comes from the First United Methodist Church of Denton in Denton, Texas. And so they have the, this song, a worship service and a sermon online. It's on YouTube. I looked at it the other day. I didn't watch the whole thing because I just can't bring myself to do that. Um, But the name of this particular um, sermon and worship service was Liberating Love, Reproductive Rights, and the God Who Is With Us Always. Okay. So basically, this is when Roe v. Wade was overturned. And so this church is basically in mourning over that um, and is wanting to reassure women and so they take the song, All Creatures of Our God and King, and change it to be <laughs> extremely pagan. And, and I know Bodhi's talked about this a lot before yeah. and dealt with this idea of what these pagan ideas that are coming into the church. Mm-hmm. Well, just a couple of the lines they put in here. Oh, brother sun, oh, sister moon, mother earth. Um, you know, they're, they're really, it's a form of sun worship and pagan worship. And you know, we see this over and over again. When people start getting rid of God and his word, they don't view God in the Bible uh, as the absolute authority. All of a sudden, anything else creeps in. And obviously, there's a lot of forms of paganism. There's what's called pantheism. That's one form of paganism, uh, where basically the universe is, is God, the earth and time and, you know, father, father time, mother earth. Those are, those are just pagan concepts. Uh, and then there's other forms where you do ancestor worship, where you have a multitude of gods and things like that. So those are the polytheistic forms uh, of paganism. Here, I mean, 
it's obvious that, they're, that, that they've got paganism in here. So they're mixing their paganism with their Christianity. The question is, is it more pagan or is it more Christian or what? That's called syncretism uh, specifically or compromise where they're trying to mix it uh, with another religion. We shouldn't do that. We need to get back to God and his word and let God be the absolute authority from the very first verse of the Bible. Yeah. But yeah, the last comment they make is, is telling. It says, abortion, eugenics, and population control have always gone hand in glove with one another. Worshiping the planet always leads to child sac- sacrifice. Yeah. It's an anti-human ideology. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So and when we leave God's word out and begin worshiping. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what the sermon was about. Basically, the pastor feeling bad for the women because now Roe v. Wade has been overturned. Right. And Thank basically you. trying to give them hope even in the midst of their freedoms being taken away from them. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, it's just appalling that a, a pastor would even call himself a pastor and preach those things, which yeah. are clearly unbiblical mm-hmm. um, things. And we need to be really discerning yeah. when it comes to churches and, and what And so saying. often pagans were well known for their child mm-hmm. sacrifice or yeah. other forms of sacrifice right. of people, human sacrifice and whatnot. So, you know, seeing them lament that, uh, you know, there's uh, the possibility of abortion being illegal in certain yeah. states is just devastating for them because they want the child. But I think it all goes hand in hand. Like you were saying, it's this syncretism. It's this paganism Mm -hmm. that's going in. This Mm -hmm. is what we see. We see it in the Bible and we can see it now, sadly. And you know, we have a world religions and cults book series Mm -hmm. uh, that really deals with a lot of the paganistic worldviews as well as a lot of the secular worldviews and religions. And maybe they can drop the link in the, in the live feed there, you know, for the world religions and cults uh, because it's powerful to deal with things like this. All right, and some good news. To end on some good news, because we like to do that, <laughs> at least 46 abortion centers have closed following Supreme Court overturning of Roe v. Wade. So this is across the nation. Um, so in some states, because they only had maybe one or two abortion centers, uh, closing those has caused there to be no abortions now allowable within the state. So that's something that we can really praise God for, um, and, and we hope it continues as, as we go further and further out from this decision. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I love the fact that there was at least nine states now uh, that are completely uh, abortion-free, right. um, which is amazing. And, uh, you know, of course, there's still all sorts of court battles. Uh, you know, I was chatting with uh, Dr. Purdom earlier, and she said, you know, instead of it being one major federal battle, now we got 50 different battles yep. uh, and more. Right. Right. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. So there's a lot more, but uh, it's, it, it's good to see at least mm-hmm. some of the stuff is starting to go away. And there are some states that are trying to block the pro-life laws that are coming up Mm -hmm. in those states, but the U.S. Supreme Court has is already like trying to make corrections for some of those methods that have been used to nullify state laws, and so the Supreme Court is is holding up. That's good, Mm -hmm. pro-life, right? And that's what we want to see. So yeah, we have a we have a number of resources here that deal with some of the subjects that uh, we've uh, dove into. Uh, Dr. Purdom here has actually got a DVD, and if you have Answers.tv, you can log into that and search for this. It's called "Are Humans Related to Chimps." Uh, great DVD, great message here that really dives into a lot of the science, some of the genetics, uh, as well as some of the theology behind all this. Uh, we also have a book. Uh, Dr. Terry Mortensen was the uh, editor of this book, but uh, I know a number of uh, uh, just phenomenal researchers and uh, professors and so forth were involved in this book called Searching for Adam. And there are some great chapters in here dealing with alleged human evolution uh, from apes and so forth. I remember Dr. David Minton wrote one in here uh, that uh, is just amazing. He was an anatomist that uh, really took a look at uh, human physiology versus ape physiology yeah. and, the, and the differences there. So those are really good dealing with that particular subject yeah. now that uh, Australopithecus uh, africanus is now popping back up in the news. And then we do a lot with the flood, and we've recommended a lot of resources uh, over the years uh, on the flood. And a friend of ours, uh, Dr. Timothy Calary, Tim Calary, uh, has this book called uh, Carved in Stone, 
absolutely uh, incredible resource. And it's not a little resource, <laughs> and yet at the same time, it is great pictures, it is a great it? resource. Really great pictures, and yeah. it really deals with the flood and a lot of the other effects uh, uh, dealing with that, a lot of charts, a lot of information. Uh, he's a PhD geologist. Yes. And yet, at the same time, you can go through this book. He can. And he can explain It's a wonderful very, very resource. Well, so. So. And before we end, uh, just a couple of things. So coming up is our annual um, in November. Okay, so it's a little ways away. But you need to be preparing now um, for our annual Creation College Expo. And so that is at the Ark Encounter. It's absolutely free. So if you're a high school student or maybe you've just graduated and you're trying to think about what's next, I um, encourage you to go to that. One of the schools that will be there is Maranatha Baptist University. And they are a great college that stands on the truth of God's word. Um, um, and so they part, they're partnering with us. We're, we try to have these partnerships with schools um, because we want, again, our own staff, but then we also want to help other people know that these are great schools to send students to. Mm -hmm. um, and you can find out more on our website about this. This is November 3rd through the 5th at creationcollegeexpo.org. Um, we'll have a list up there soon of all the colleges that are attending from across the U.S., and you'll be able to interact with them. Um, so I encourage you to sign up for that. You just register, but it's free online, and so that's all we have time for now, today. What? I do have a question about this. It's, it is free, but do we want the students to pre-register yes, so that we know they're coming? Yes, you still have to register coming? online, even though it's free. So I um, right. still encourage you to do that. Um, that way they get lanyards and everything. Right, there'll be speakers throughout the day. So it is a really nice mm -hmm. time uh, for you and your students. All right, so we're out of time for today. So we'll see you back next week.